Well, it is great to be back here. Uh, I realized when I got up here at first service that I was actually nervous about, it's like, these are important people. This, uh, this matters. Uh, I also have a reprimand for you as dad. So when I got here this morning, some people were, were giving me a hard time about what I was wearing. Apparently, I was, wear, I was dressed up too much. I just want you to remember that when we started SunWest, we accepted everyone, no matter how they were dressed when they came. So... <laughs> Uh, just a reminder of that. <laughs> also, you were given a, a stone when, or a little rock when you walked in. And, uh, and it'll make sense shortly, but uh, just a reminder as well, this is not how you evaluate the sermon. Uh, I just want to be clear about that. Uh, only a few bruises from first service, so we're doing okay. Uh, well, it's great to be here. We're excited that uh, we could come and join you for Easter. And of course, we've been uh, tracking the story of what God has been doing at SunWest uh, in the last uh, year since we, or I guess, moved away six months ago, but uh, just what God's been doing here over the last year. And, uh, and we'll get to that part later on in the message this morning. So, the rocks. You realize that before there was Facebook, Instagram, uh, before there was Snapchat or Twitter, uh, before there was texting, uh, before there was email, before there was snail mail, before there was telegrams, uh, before uh, there was carrier pigeons, uh, before there were smoke signals, there were rocks. And in history, people have used rocks to communicate, not by throwing them at each other, even though that happens as well, and that does communicate something, I suppose, rather clearly. Uh, but that wasn't the point. People would actually, in history, they, bid, they would build piles of rocks, like the one on the screen behind me. And when there was a pile of rock built, and someone walked, and it was obviously built by human hands, someone would walk by with, uh, say, their child, and the child would go, why is that there? And the parent would go, I'm glad you asked. And they would tell them a story a story of God's amazing work, particularly with the people of Israel, because they were often told to build a reminder of what God had done. And uh, later in the service, we will be talking a bit about Joshua and how God did that. Uh, but God also reminded, used the little rocks to remind the Jews of people. So if you go to Jerusalem today, uh, it's obviously a very rocky place. All of the Mideast is just basically one big rock pile. And I want to show you a picture taken from the Mount of Olives. Uh, so this is a picture I took from the Mount of Olives uh, a couple of years ago. And uh, the Kidron Valley is below you there. And then you have the Wall of Jerusalem. And you have the Dome of the Rock, which uh, a couple thousand years ago is where the temple would have stood. And this is where Jesus would have stood several times. Uh, the Garden of Gethsemane is just uh, to the left here, just a short walk. When Jesus was praying... Uh, before he was arrested, he was on this hill uh, when Jesus was weeping over the city, uh, weeping over the people who were rejecting him and get, wanting to gather them. He was on this hill. This was his view. As Jesus stood here, he would have been able to see the temple where the dome is and the Golgotha, the place of crucifixion behind that. So when he stood on this hill, he was looking at those who had rejected him to the place of where he would be crucified because he loved them. This hill has a profound uh, place in history, in Christian history. 
at the bottom of the picture, you see some grave sites. And all the graves there are above ground because, again, it's a rock pile. You don't dig graves there. It doesn't work. And, uh, and that graveyard is 3,000 years old, so it would have been there, obviously, much smaller during Jesus' day. Today, it contains 150,000 graves. So it just goes on and on down the side of the hill. If we go to the next picture, you can just get a glimpse of it. And, you, and then you see rocks on top of each of the grave uh, sites there, each of the grave markers that, the, that have been built. And the first, when I stood there, I went, first of all, I thought, have kids been playing here? This is so disrespectful. Why are they throwing rocks on top of the graves? Like, it just seems so strange to me. And there's no, no uh, pattern to the stones. But in Jewish history, when they wanted to remember someone and visit the graveside, they would bring a stone and place it on the grave. And they do it to this day. That's why you see all these stones on here. Because this gravesite's still in use. And uh, I was talking to someone the other day, actually, back in Vancouver. And they told me, they said, yeah, I went to a Jewish funeral the other day. And, and when we went to the gravesite, we were all told, bring a rock to remember. And often, the greater the pile of rocks, the more esteemed the person was. More people had come to visit that, grave, that particular graveside. And so the place of rock is to remember. And so this morning, we're going to go and take a look at memory over small rocks and over a larger pile of rocks. But the first one I want us to think about is the small rocks because it's remembering a person. And this weekend is the high point, the apex, really, of the Christian calendar. And, and we celebrate the apex of history, which was Christ giving his life to pay for our sins, to wipe out our shame, to defeat death, which was what we remember on Friday, the awfully wonderful Good Friday, the awful nature of the cross and the crucifixion and the wonderful nature of God's sacrifice through his son on our behalf. And so we remember what he did. Paul talking about his sacrifice uh, to the church in Galatia, he writes in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, uh, he says, But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. So this context where this was written to was a church in, the, in the Galatia where some uh, Jews had come and were trying to get the Christ followers in Galatia to add adherence to Old Testament law on top of their faith in Jesus. And Paul comes and he says, no, 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 no. Jesus took care of that when he died on the cross. He was the perfect sacrifice for us. He's the one who actually was the one who never sinned because the law showed us, showed the people of Israel that they could never keep the law. And so when Jesus referred to as the Passover lamb, which refers back to the very first Passover, which was in Egypt, when the people of Israel were told to slaughter a lamb and put the, door, put the blood on the doorposts so that when the angel of death would come over, they would be protected. And of course, it was when the angel of death and the firstborn of the Egyptians died that Pharaoh then said, you can go. And Jesus now was that Passover lamb. So there is no law to be required because he met the law perfectly. Now, in our day and age, we don't hear about the law. We kind of ignore the law, being good North Americans. We think our, we are a law to ourselves, actually, pretty much, in North America. But when I talk to people, what I often find is that instead of worrying about the law, 
what they worry about or think about is their good deeds. So people say, well, I'm going to go to heaven. Well, how do you know? Well, I'm pretty sure that my good deeds outweigh my bad. Like, well, pretty sure. That's like, how can you be sure, sure? I'd rather be really sure rather than pretty sure. Well, you know, I'm better than so-and-so. Like, we never pick someone who's better than us, right? Like, I've never, I've never run into anybody who uses that, you know, the scales kind of of their good deeds and picks Mother Teresa. Right? No one's going there. They pick Hitler. I'm better than Hitler. Right? That's a safe bet. You're better than Hitler. And yet, what Paul is saying here, he said, when Jesus hung on the cross, that took care of everything because there's nothing that you or I can do. There's no law we can keep. There's no deed that we can perform where God says, hey, that's good enough. You don't need Jesus. He doesn't count. You're beyond him. And Paul here is saying, no, Jesus is the one who took care of that. Jesus is the one who took care of that. And in fact, when he uses the word here, uh, rescued, but Christ has rescued you. Some translations will use the word redeemed. That word, if you go to the original language, what, that word was used for when someone would purchase a slave in a slave market, and the reason they purchased them was to set them free, not to enslave them to themselves. But when they redeemed a slave, they paid the price, and when they had paid the price, they said, now you're free to go. That's what that word means. Jesus redeemed you. He rescued you. That's what he did. That's the beauty of Good Friday. That's the wonder of Good Friday. That's what we remember. I'd love for you to carry this rock with you. Put it in your pocket. And every time you're your purse, and every time you, you feel that rock, think about what Jesus did. We don't have grave sites. We place them on. We think about them in our heads and in our hearts. But remember what he did when he died on the cross. But Jesus, or Easter is also this incredible invitation to remember uh, victory that Jesus then performed over death. And that's the beauty of Sunday. That's the beauty of today. I mean, Friday, we're supposed, you know, Friday's a depressing day. I say it's, a, it's awfully wonderful. The crucifixion is awful. I've watched the Passion of the Christ once, and I'm not sure I want to see it again. I'm glad I saw it. But once was enough. Right? It's an awful day. But the wonder of him paying for our sins and then the wonderful victory of resurrection. And I don't know about you, but I, I struggle to wrap my brain around resurrection. Like, I remember when I was a little kid, I used to think about, okay, now I'm alive, now I'm dead. He's lying in bed as a five-year-old, right? Okay, dead. Like, we're trying to imagine dead. It never worked very well. But then trying to think the opposite. Okay, dead, now alive. Like, it's amazing. I, a number of years ago, I was on a SunWest missions trip, went to Mozambique. And um, uh, when the, the mission base we're at uh, in Mozambique is across the street uh, from a beach. We go to the beach, and one of the guys I'm with from the mission base says, hey, there's a pastor here who's come for a conference. I want you to meet this guy. And, uh, uh, and his name in, um, the way they would say his name is Pastor Supreze. Pastor Surprise in English, it's spelled surprise. Okay, so I got Pastor Surprise. Well, pa I'd read about Pastor Surprise. Here's what, what Pastor Surprise is known for, and you can Google him. It'll come, come up right away. And I checked on it before I came in, because that's uh, like 10 years ago I saw him. Uh, he, he is, what he is known for is that there's eight people that he prayed for at that time who came back to life from the dead. And I met this man, I'm like, what a, what do I do? Like, what, this, is, this, is, this is blowing my categories. 
And, you know, you, you ask a little bit, and you well, I prayed. You know, the guy died. Yeah, he died, and he was dead for a while. We prayed for him, and he woke up. Like, what do you mean he woke up? He woke up. He got up. Like, he got up, up? Like, yes, he got up. And I'm just like, okay, my brain is not computing this. And yet, because of what you read in Scripture, because of what you read in the Bible, that's exactly what happens. You go, if Easter Sunday is true, then I actually shouldn't be surprised at what happened in Africa. So here's what happened the day Jesus died. Uh, in um, Matthew chapter 27. So at that moment, it says, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from the top to bottom. The earth shook, rocks split apart, the tombs opened, and bodies of many, God, of many godly men and women who had died were raised from the dead. They left the cemetery after Jesus' resurrection, went into the holy city of Jerusalem, and appeared to many people. Okay, now that's freaky. Like, think about this. Suddenly you see your dead brother-in-law walking around town. He says, that's what happened when Jesus died. And when he resurrected, they left the cemetery and they were seen by people. Like, it's the beginning of the reality of new life is what it's talking about. And then it says, the Roman officer and other soldiers at the crucifixion were terrified by the earthquake. And all that happened, they said, this man truly was the son of God. The people who were there doing their job, the ones who were witnesses, suddenly had this aha moment. This wasn't just another man. And the first fruits of resurrection happened when Jesus died, and these people who had passed away were resurrected to life. Walked around publicly after Jesus' resurrection, and it shows us that new life not only is possible, new life happened that day. Now, those people still died eventually. Because new life fully doesn't happen until Jesus returns. But they were the first fruits, the first signs of the resurrection life, the resurrection power of God that became a reality when Jesus rose from the dead on the third day that we celebrate today. And that enacts something I call the resurrection principle. The resurrection principle. Romans 6, chapter 4, Paul's writing to the church in Rome and he says, And just as Christ was raised from, raised from the dead, the glorious power of the Father, now, now we also... Sorry, and just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Jesus' resurrection changes absolutely everything. It changed everything for the disciples and those who were following Jesus. How do we know? You take this group of 11 disciples, Jesus, Judas was now gone, and uh, the other 109 people, we're told, are, are hanging out in this upper room in Jerusalem. They're terrified, they're worried. Their leader is gone. Some of them went back to fishing, we're told. We know that because uh, Jesus later on after he resurrected went and saw Peter fishing. Some of them were going back to their hometown like Emmaus, which was just outside of Jerusalem. And Jesus showed up in his resurrected form to those men. And those men had said, well, we had so hoped that this would be the new kingdom, the new era, the new world. But instead, they, they were disappointed. So this fearful disappointed, leaderless group of people after the resurrection of Christ, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, that group of people, that 120, suddenly is empowered to become brave and courageous, fearless, impervious to threats. And in the next 300 years, the known world is turned upside down as people 
are told the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and Christ followers are formed all over the known world at that time. So how do you go from being fearful and scared and cowering and hiding to being brave and courageous and impervious to threat no matter how many of your friends have gotten killed because they want to share the great news of Jesus Christ? It's only because of the resurrection reality. That's the only way that works. And there's points when the cypers are pulled in and getting flogged and getting beaten up. And it says that the Jewish leaders recognize that these uneducated men who were now so courageous and the line is, they had been with Jesus. It changed everything. Resurrection absolutely changed everything. It made them courageous. It made them strong. It made them fearless. It made them say that to give my life under the name of Christ, to be accused, to be as, as a follower of Jesus would be an honor. That would be a privilege, is what they say. And our world is different today because of that resurrection reality. What does that mean for you and me? Well, obviously it means we can walk in relationship and have new life in Christ. So regardless of what you've done or what has been done to you, regardless how far away you've been from God, regardless how dark your days have been, regardless whatever struggles you've had, regardless whatever identity you've looked for, in whatever ways you've pursued those things, Jesus says, because of my resurrection power, there is hope for you. There is no story too awful. There is no sin too great. There is no pain too overwhelming that the gospel does not penetrate, that the reality of resurrection life does not come into and renew and restore. That is the good news for us today. That is the resurrection principle that is alive for us today. Sin was destroyed. Forgiveness is real. Hope is true. Renewal is a reality because of the resurrected Christ. If that's never been your experience, if you've never taken that step of saying, Jesus, be my leader, be my forgiver, be my friend, you can do that today very simply by praying and asking him into your life to do that for the forgiveness of your sins filling you with his Holy Spirit and walking with him as his child. It's really that simple. You see, remembering what Jesus did, remembering resurrection changed the world so profoundly and everything hinges on that. It's not like some people say, well, Jesus was a good teacher. You go, well, that's not enough. Jesus was a good moral example. That's not enough. Jesus was a great man. That's not enough. None of that matters if he didn't rise from the dead. Paul puts it this way in First uh, Corinthians 15, verse 12, he says, But tell me this, since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection of the dead? For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless, and your faith is useless. And we apostles would all be lying about God, for we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there is no resurrection of the dead. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our faith is useless. And you are still guilty in your sins. And, and in that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. Paul's saying either it's true or basically I'm an idiot. That's basically what he's laying out for the Corinthians. Either this is true and it's great news and it changes everything, or I'm deluded. 
That's the place Paul takes it. He does not leave a place where people say, oh, he's a good man, he's a good teacher, a good moral example. He gave us some good advice, the golden rule. Paul says, no, All, everything rises and falls on the resurrection, and I am so glad it does because I need that kind of reality in my life. I, need that, I needed that forgiveness. I need the ongoing power and presence of God in my life, and this world desperately needs that message more today uh, than ever. So if resurrection is true, then we can be sure God exists. And his claims of who he is and that Jesus is his son are true. And if it's true, we can be sure that God loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us. And if it's true, then, then Jesus really is the way, the truth, and the life. The way to God, the truth of God, and the life of God. If it's true, there is a future for humanity. And that this world is just rehearsal for the one to come when Jesus returns. And that there is hope in whatever circumstance you are in. That there is God's reality wants to enter into whatever your story is. Whatever your pain is, whatever your hope is, whatever your future can be, and whatever your past has been for you. You are not defined by your past because your identity is in Christ because of the resurrection of Christ. That is the great news of Easter, friends. That is the reality of Easter. If it's true, it puts suffering and death in new light because this life is not all there is. This life is simply a training ground for eternity. Relationship with Jesus gives purpose for today and hope for all of eternity. That's the small rock reason. I need to get to the big rock pile reason. You see, God in history, as I said, these markers of these larger piles of rocks and and we have a bit of a larger pile at the foot of the cross. That may have been the size of the pile, actually, that came out of the, the Jordan River, because I'm not sure how big a rock one person can carry on their shoulder to build a pile. But as I said earlier, Joshua was told, build this pile, take 12 men and build this pile. And Joshua puts it this way in Joshua chapter 4. It says, so Joshua called together the 12 men he had chosen from, the, from each of the tribes of Israel. He told them, go into the middle of the Jordan in front of the ark of the Lord your God. Each of you must pick up one stone and carry it on your shoulder. Twelve stones in all, one for each of the twelve tribes of Israel. We will use these stones to build a memorial. In the future, your children will ask you, what do these stones mean? Then you can tell them. They remind us that the Jordan River stopped flowing when the ark of the Lord's covenant went across. These stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel forever. See, we need big rock piles to remember what God has done. What he's done through history, through Jesus, what he's done with the church throughout history, how the church was established and that we are a part of that same church and that he calls us to be part of that church going forward. See, Jesus had instructions for us. He had instructions for the bride of Christ, for the church. And as Drew said earlier, um, SunWest has gone through a journey, 23 years, but also maybe perhaps a, a little more tumultuous one recently. And my wife and I have been, been praying for you. We've always prayed for you, but even more so recently. And we are actually so excited about what God has done and is doing, even though there have been difficult days. Because God always calls a people to himself. God always works through a people. In North America, we are so individualistic. So we read the Bible and we think, me, I, God save me. He has a purpose for me. He has things for me to do. It's always about me, I. And yet scripture actually is not written that way. The Bible is a we book, not an I book. 
even though God saved you personally and invites you personally, but it's always into community. It's always into the broader storyline. It's always into a group. He's always done that. Now, the group may be small, five or six. It may be thousands and thousands. The size of the group is not the point. The mission that God has for us is the point. And Jesus gave instructions uh, regarding this, Matthew 16, 18. Jesus talking to Peter. When he's ta- when the first time he's talking about the church, he says, Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. There you go again. And upon this rock, I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Jesus is saying that his bride, his church, is unstoppable. And we've seen that throughout history when different rulers have tried to eradicate the church. In the second uh, century, I think it was Nicolaitan tried to eradicate the church. And at one point, he, he took uh, Christians and he crucified them all the way down the road into Rome. I think, believe it was a 15-kilometer stretch and there was someone about every 100 meters. Like, do the math. And then when he came through, what they actually did, and this is gross, he lit them all on fire. So they were the torches. Did it stop the church? No. Never stopped the church. Why? Because Jesus said, my church is unstoppable. Even the powers of hell will not conquer it. Why? Because he is present in the church, because the power of God through the Holy Spirit is here. And so he's always molded a people together, large and small, and he molded Sun West together because a whole bunch of people decided, God, we believe you've called us here to start a church in South Calgary. God, would you do something? Could you do something? Would you raise up a people? Would you bring people to yourself? Would you, would you, would you use this group of people to introduce others into that relationship with Jesus Christ, that new life? that resurrection reality. And as I was thinking about that, thinking about uh, my family moved here, Gwen and I moved here in 1994, and uh, that next winter we got a group of people together from, well, they came from all over Canada because they were, people were moving to Calgary at that time. So there's 35 adults and kids uh, that are together. And we thought, well, how do you, you know, become, sort of tell the community we're here? Well, what are you doing, Calgary? You have a stampede breakfast, right? That's what you do. And at that time, the problem was that almost none of us had ever been to a stampede breakfast. Like, what do we do? I don't know. I guess we've got to get our cowboy on somehow. Uh, <laughs> let's go buy a hat. Um, and, uh, and so we, we called up some people from some other churches, and they came and helped us. And we thought, okay, God, if we do, if we do this, like, we see a lot of people go. Maybe we get 1,000 people or 1,200, maybe more. That'd be awesome. And so we prayed. And uh, we did this over by uh, the strip mall in Sundance, where the first office was. And we did it the second Sunday of Stampede. And so we prayed, and we came together, and one of the, the gals in our leadership team had a horse, so she brought a horse to give uh, people rides on. Found out that was a huge liability risk later on. Uh, you know, we even had a country western band come in from Medicine Hat, I think it was. And... Um, we did, and people just started to come, and people started to come, and people started to come, and we went, uh-oh. We ran out of food. And so Husky, the Husky there had done the, the, uh, uh, the stampede breakfast the weekend before. We ran, ran over there and said, hey, do you guys have any extra food? Yeah, sure. We haven't returned anything, so here's sausages and pancakes. Okay, we used up all their food. And that, that, that day, we fed, I think it was over 2,500 people. Uh, if I remember right, it was 2,800, but somewhere in that neighborhood. And we ended that day exhausted, sitting there, gorgeous sunny day on that little berm outside 
uh, that strip mall and went, oh my goodness, God blew us out of the water. Do you think he could do more than we can ever hope or think or ask or imagine? So we started to pray different. We started to step out in faith different. And we said, God, we want to do whatever it is that you want to do. We want to be part of whatever it is you want to be a part of. We believe that you have greater plans than we do, greater dreams than we do. So we're going to give ourselves to that in the best way we know how. Try to be as obedient as we can because we believe you're alive. We believe the city needs to know you, and we believe that we are one of the churches you want to use. Got an email last week from a gal who, uh, who attended church from the first Sunday, Doreen McCockerty. Some of you would know Doreen. Doreen has been living in Lethbridge, is moving now to Kelowna to hang out with her grandchildren. And as Easter was approaching, she sent us this email. Um, and Doreen had been one of the people, we had a bunch of people go door to door and ask uh, with a survey and say, um, uh, you know, we're thinking of starting a church in the neighborhood. What do you think a church should be like? And if people attended church, we said, well, we're not really interested in talking to you. Uh, pray for us. And if they didn't attend church at the time, we'd say, we really like your opinion. Doreen was one of those people living in Shaughnessy. And this is what she wrote us. She said, in those early years with SunWest, I wrote many pages and many journals. I keep them for my family to read after I am home with Jesus. I wrote a poem about holding a hammer in my hand and nailing it on the cross, taking that poem about her story. You see, I needed to do that to be free. I was filled with so much guilt after trying to kill myself by taking pills. My burning mouth condition won. So she had a disease where the nerve endings in your, in your mouth, on your tongue and in your mouth, they burn 24 hours a day. And there was no relief. There was no form of relief. Um, she said, my burning mouth condition won and I was in a coma for three days. I woke up and went looking for Jesus, the one who saved me. And then she was baptized October 22nd, 1996. I know through Jesus' relationship and not religion. I know Jesus through relationship and not religion because I walked through those doors at Mid-Sun Community Center. That was the first place uh, this church met. That is your legacy. That is the legacy of what Jesus pulled together here 23 years ago. And I know that heartbeat beats here because I know the people here. I know you, many of you. I know your leaders. I know your staff. And I know God has an incredible future ahead, regardless of the difficult times. He has led SunWest through multiple moves, through multiple facilities. He has led SunWest to, to participate in many global mission teams. I just thought of well, Mexico is happening right now. I think it's the 19th year, if I got that right. Uh, they're on their way back. Uh, Thailand, El Salvador, uh, Dominican Republic, Mozambique. God has used SunWest to shape the spiritual passion of many, many young people, including my three boys. God had provided through the ups and downs of starting the McKenzie campus, the Fish Creek campus, moving the different facilities. In fact, I was thinking back because there's, uh, you know, you're looking at buying a new building for uh, the Fish Creek campus and the great new partnerships with McKenzie at the, with the Lake McKenzie uh, Community Center. And I remember the one time we, um, we wanted to raise money to start McKenzie campus and to move to Centennial High. And we, had, we decided uh, things changed rather rapidly. So we had 30 days to raise $250,000. And it all came in. In fact, I think it came in before the 30 days was up. I thought, gee, should have asked for more. Shoot. <laughs> God is a provider as his people give themselves to him. As his people say, God, we are here 
because of what you did on that resurrection weekend. We are here because we've given our lives to you, and we know you have a call on your bride and on this bride, and it's unstoppable because you are the pre- It's not because we're so great. It's because you are, and it's your spirit that empowers us. That is the resurrection principle. That is the big rock principle because if the resurrection is true, then the church of Jesus is unstoppable and he's calling this body in this next season to be an unstoppable bride to move into as churches into Mackenzie we'll see what he does with Fish Creek I know you have the uh, the building opportunity which frankly ticks me off that it's after I'm gone all these years of having set up and tear down I work in a church right now that has a building and it still kind of freaks me out I'm not used to it but I'm going to have to enjoy it vicariously through you here. I think it's an amazing opportunity. Excited for it. Prayed over that building many times in the past. Because I don't know if you know, we looked at seriously buying that building a number of years ago. And then that plan went by the wayside. We've looked at, I couldn't tell you of any facilities and pieces of property we've looked at throughout South Calgary. Starting 20 years ago. So I'm so excited. Jealous, but excited. Jealous in that good way, right? In that biblical way. God is calling this body to follow him because of the resurrection reality where you've walked into relationship with him. He's given you the Holy Spirit to guide you, to unify you, and to lead you. He's given you some good leaders. I love Matt and Drew. Watch them grow up here into leadership. They are men of God to lead your churches. I believe he's brought great lay leaders here as well, volunteers who have given themselves diligently, who've walked through difficult things in the past, and God has blessed that. Is it always easy? Of course not. Why not? Because we're people. I've joked from this platform many times, you want a perfect church? Well, this isn't it. I can guarantee you that. But if you find one, don't go there because you'll ruin it, right? Because you're not perfect. You know that. It's people. But God's spirit is great. The Spirit is powerful, and He has great things in plan. So on this Easter Sunday, I want you to remember, the resurrection is true. You find what you're looking for, which is ultimately relationship with your Creator. If the resurrection is true, death is not the end. If the resurrection is true, then Jesus' claim to be the way to God, the truth about God, and the very life of God is true. If the resurrection is true, then Jesus is the Son of God. If resurrection is true, then Jesus paid the price for your sins. And that has been paid and your shame has been erased. Resurrection is true. You can find your identity as a child of God. If resurrection is true, then we can always have companionship with Christ. If resurrection is true, then we can live purposeful lives. And if resurrection is true, we have hope regardless of the circumstance. Because Jesus is alive. The Spirit is here. If you have a relationship with him, you are his people. If you don't, this morning he invites you into that relationship. If you've been away from him for a long time, he invites you back as a father with open arms, because he says, I love you. We're going to, let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for the resurrection reality. I want to thank you. You give us physical minders so, so, so simple as stones, as rocks. The resurrection reality of this day, we celebrate today, 2018. You've been renewing people since that first resurrection, since people broke out of their graves as a foretaste of the kingdom to come, of the resurrection principle. 
Father, I thank you that because of that, we can have personal relationship with you. Father, I thank you that you have a call on us as a people, a gathered people, and you've been gathering people to be your people, your representative, your ambassadors, your billboard into this world since, the, since that day 2,000 years ago. And so, Father, I pray that we will be your people, walking forward in you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's stand for closing worship. If you've never made that decision to make Jesus your leader, your forgiver, and your friend, I want to give you that opportunity simply by praying with me. It's a very simple decision which huge, with a huge uh, impact on our lives and on our world. So I would invite you to do that just by praying silently with me, and I'd love to talk to you afterwards. You can talk to one of the, the pastors here or someone who brought you if you've come with a friend. So pray with me. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Please come and forgive my sin. Heal my heart. Fill me with your spirit. And draw me into relationship with you. I give my life to you. You are my leader. You are my friend. And give me a community to walk with, to grow deep in you and follow you for the rest of my days. And Father, I want to pray over Sun West. Lord, I thank you for this community that you have raised up, where you have drawn people to yourself, where you have sent people out from, where people have found you in relationship through pain, like, like Doreen. Thank you for her story. She continues to love you and follow you. Thank you for the many others who have come to know you and for the many who will come to know you through this place, through these people in Mackenzie and, and in Southfish Creek. Father, I thank you for the leaders you have placed here. I pray your blessing over them. I pray your protection over them, both staff and leadership team and other leaders, Father. And I pray that as the journey goes forward into establishing two churches, Lord, I pray for leaders to step up. I pray for that clarity of passion and mission uh, in those places, Father, those ge geographic places. Father, I pray for the blessing to flow from this church, from these churches through this city, across this land, and around the world. For your honor and for your glory, Lord, and for the benefit of those who will hear the saving news of Jesus Christ, the reality of the resurrection that we celebrate today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Happy Easter. It's been great to be with you.